0: chapter seventeen of ardath by marie corelli this librivox recording is in the public domain a virgin unshrined under the cloudless star-patterned sky in the soft warm air that brimmed with the fragrance of roses they drove once more together through the spacious streets of Alcaris streets that were now nearly deserted save for a few late passers-by whose figures were almost as indistinct and rapid in motion as pale flitting shadows there was not a sign of storm in the lovely heavens though now and again a sullen roll as of a distant cannonade hinted of pent-up anger lurking somewhere behind that clear and exquisitely dark blue ether in which a million worlds blazed luminously like pendulous drops of white fire saluma's chariot whirled along with incredible swiftness the hoofs of the galloping horses occasionally striking sparks of flame from the smooth mosaic pictured pavement but theos now began to notice that there was a strange noiselessness in their movements that the whole cortege appeared to be environed by a magic circle of silence and that the very night itself seemed breathlessly listening in entranced awe to some unlanguaged warning from the gods invisible compared with the turbulence and terror just left behind at the king's palace this weird hush was uncomfortably impressive and gave a sense of fantastic unreality to the scene the sleepy mesmeric radiance of the full moon shining on the delicate traceries of the quaintly sculptured houses on either hand made them look brittle and evanescent the great heavy hanging orange boughs and the feathery frondage of the tall palms seemed outlined in mere mist against the sky and the glimpses caught from time to time of the broad and quietly flowing river were like so many flashes of light seen through a veil of cloud theos standing beside his friend with one hand resting familiarly on his shoulder dreamily admired the phantom-like beauty of the city thus transfigured in the moonbeams and though he vaguely wondered a little at the deep mysterious stillness that everywhere prevailed he scarcely admitted to himself that there was or could be anything unusual in it he took his position as he found it indeed he could not well do otherwise since he felt his fate was ruled by some resolute unseen force against which all resistance would be unavailing moreover his mind was now entirely possessed by the haunting vision of lycia a vision half human half divine a beautiful magical irresistible sweetness that allured his soul and roused within him a wordless passion of infinite desire he exchanged not a syllable with saluma an indefinable yet tacit understanding existed between them an intuitive foreknowledge and subtle perception of each other's character intentions and aims that for the moment rendered speech unnecessary and there was something after all in the profound silence of the night that while strange was also eloquent eloquent of meanings unutterable such as lie hidden in the scented cups of flowers when lovers gather them on idle summer afternoons and weave them into posies for one another's wearing how fleetly the gilded shell-shaped car sped on its way trees houses bridges domes and cupolas seemed to fly past in a varied whirl of glistening color now and again a cluster of fireflies broke from some thicket of shade and danced drowsily by in sparkling tangles of gold and green here and there from great open squares and branch shattered gardens gleamed the stone face of an obelisk or the white column of a fountain while over all things streamed the long prismatic rays flung forth from the revolving lights in the twelve towers of the sacred temple like flaming spears ranged lengthwise against the limitless depth of the midnight horizon with straining necks tossed manes and foam flying from their nostrils saluma's fiery coursers dashed onward at almost lightning speed and the journey became a wild headstrong rush through the dividing air a rush toward some voluptuous end dimly discerned yet indefinite at last they stopped before them rose a lofty building crested with fantastic pinnacles such as are formed by ice on the roof in times of intense cold a great gate stood open and pacing slowly up and down in front of it was a tall slave in white tunic and turban who turning his gleaming eyeballs on saluma nodded by way of salutation and then uttered a sharp peculiar whistle this summons brought out two curious dwarfish figures of men whose awkward misshapen limbs resembled the contorted branches of wind-blown trees and whose coarse and repulsive countenances betokened that malignant delight in evil-doing which only demons are supposed to know these ungainly servitors possessed themselves of the laureate's chafing steeds and led them and the chariot away into some unseen courtyard while the laureate himself still saying no word kept fast hold of his companion's arm and hurried him along a dark avenue overshadowed with thick boughs that drooped heavily downward to the ground a solitary place where the intense quiet was disturbed only by the occasional drip drip of dewy moisture trickling tearfully from the leaves or the sweet faint gurgling sound of fountains playing somewhere in the distance on they went for several paces till at a sharp bend in the moss-grown path an amethystine light broke full between the arched green branches directly in front of them glimmered a broad piece of water and out of the purple-tinted depths rose the white nude lovely form of a woman whose rounded outstretched arms appeared to beckon them whose mouth smiled in mingled malice and sweetness and round whose looped-up tresses sparkled a diadem of sapphire flame with a cry of astonishment and ecstasy theo sprang forward saluma held him back in laughing remonstrance we'll drown for a statue's sake he inquired mirthfully by my soul good theos if thy wits thus wander at sight of a witching marble nymph illumined by electric glamours what will become of thee when thou art face to face with living breathing loveliness come thou hot-headed neophyte thou shalt not waste thy passion on images of stone i warrant thee come but theos stood still his eyes rode from saluma to the glittering statue and from the statue back again to saluma in mingled doubt and dread a vague foreboding filled his mind he fancied that a bevy of mocking devils peered at him from out the wooded labyrinth and that sin was the name of the white siren yonder whose delicate body seemed to palpitate with every slow ripple of the surrounding waters he hesitated with that often saving hesitation a noble spirit may feel willfully yielding to what it instinctively knows to be wrong and for the briefest possible space an imperceptible line was drawn between his own self-consciousness and the fascinating personality of his lately found friend a line that parted them asunder as though by a gulf of centuries saluma he said in a tremulous low tone tell me truly is it good for us to be here saluma regarded him in wide-eyed amazement good good he repeated with a sort of impatient disdain what dost thou mean by good what is good what is evil canst thou tell if so thou art wiser than i good to be here if it is good to drown remembrance of the world in draughts of pleasure if it is good to love and be beloved if it is good to enjoy I ah, enjoy with burning zest every pulsation of the blood and every beat of the heart and to feel that life is a fiery delight an exquisite dream of drained-off rapture then it is good to be here if and he caught theosa's hand in his own warm palm and pressed it while his voice sank to a soft and infinitely caressing sweetness if it is good to climb the dizzy heights of joy and drowse in the deep sunshine of amorous eyes to slip away on elfin wings into the limitless freedom of love's summer-land to rifle rich kisses from warm lips even as rosebuds are rifled from the parent rose and to forget to forget all bitter things that are best forgotten enough enough cried theos fired with a reckless impulse of passionate ardor on on saluma i follow thee on let us delay no more at that moment a far-off strain of music saluted his ears music evidently played on stringed instruments it was accompanied by a ringing clash of cymbals he listened and listening saw a smile lighten saluma's features a smile sweet yet full of delicate mockery their eyes met a wanton impetuosity flashed like reflected flame from one face to the other and then without another instant's pause they hurried on across a broad rose marble terrace garlanded with a golden wealth of orange-trees and odorous oleanders under a trellis work covered with magnolias whose half-shut ivory-tinted buds glistened in the moonlight like large suspended pearls then through a low-roofed stone corridor close and dim lit only by a few flickering oil-lamps placed at far intervals then on they went till at last ascending three red granite steps on which were carved some curious hieroglyphs they plunged into what seemed to be a vast jungle enclosed in some dense tropical forest what a strange unsightly thicket of rank verdure was here thought theos it was as though nature grown tired of floral beauty had in a sudden malevolent mood purposely torn and blurred the fair green frondage and twisted every bud awry great jagged leaves covered with prickles and stained all over with blotches as of spilt poison thick brown stems glistening with slimy moisture and coiled up like the sleeping bodies of snakes masses of purple and blue fungi, and blossoms seemingly of the orchid species some like fleshy tongues others like the waxen yellow fingers of a dead hand protruded spectrally through the matted foliage while all manner of strange overpowering odors increased the swooning oppressiveness of the sultry languorous air this uncouth botanical garden was apparently roofed in by a lofty glass dome decorated with hangings of watery green silk but the grotesque trees and plants grew to so enormous a height that it was impossible to tell which were the following draperies and which the straggling leaves curious birds flew hither and thither voiceless creatures scarlet and amber winged a huge gilded brazier stood in one corner from whence ascended the constant smoke of burning incense and there were rose-shaded lamps all about that shed a subdued mysterious lustre on the scene and bestowed a pale glitter on a few fantastic clumps of arums and nodding lotus flowers that lazily lifted themselves out of a greenish pool of stagnant water sunk deeply in on one side of the marble flooring theos holding saluma's arm stepped eagerly across the threshold he was brimful of expectation and what mattered it to him whether the weed-like things that grew in this strange pavilion were pure or poisonous provided he might look once more upon the witching face that long ago had so sweetly enticed him to his ruin stay what was he thinking of long ago nay that was impossible since he had only seen the priestess lycia for the first time that very morning how piteously perplexing it was to be thus tormented with these indistinct ideas these half-formed notions of previous intimate acquaintance with persons and places he never could have known before all at once he drew back with a startled exclamation an enormous tigress sleek and jewel-eyed bounded up from beneath a tangled mass of red-and-yellow creepers and advanced toward him with a low savage snarl peace i peace said saluma carelessly patting the animal's head thou art wont to be wiser in distinguishing twixt thy friends and foes then turning to theos he added she is harmless as a kitten this poor call her good theos she will come to thy hand see and he smiled as theos not to be outdone by his companion in physical courage bent forward and stroked the cruel-looking beast who while submitting to his caress never for a moment ceased her smothered snarling presently however she was seized with a sudden fit of savage playfulness and throwing herself on the ground before him she rolled her lithe body to and fro with brief thirsty roars of satisfaction roars that echoed through the whole pavilion with terrific resonance then rising she shook herself vigorously and commenced a stealthy velvet-footed pacing up and down lashing her tail from side to side and keeping those sly emerald-like eyes of hers watchfully fixed on saluma who merely laughed at her fierce antics leaning against one of the dark gnarled trees he tapped his sandaled foot with some impatience on the marble pavement while theo standing close beside him wondered whether the mysterious lycia knew of their arrival saluma appeared to guess his thoughts for he answered them as though they had been spoken aloud yes he said she knows we are here she knew the instant we entered her gates nothing is or can be hidden from her he who would have secrets must depart out of alciris and find some other city to dwell in for here he shall be unable to keep even his own counsel to lycia all things are made manifest she reads human nature as one reads an open scroll and with merciless analysis she judges men as being very poor creatures limited in their capabilities disappointing and monotonous in their passions unproductive and circumscribed in their destinies to her ironical humour and icy wit the wisest sages seem fools she probes them through the core and discovers all their weaknesses she has no trust in virtue no belief in honesty and she is right who but a madman would be honest in these days of competition and greed of gain and as for virtue tis a pretty icicle that melts at the first touch of a hot temptation i the virgin priestess of nagaya hath a most profound comprehension of mankind's immeasurable brute stupidity and strong in this knowledge she governs the multitude with iron will intellectual force and dictative firmness when she dies i know not what will happen here he interrupted himself and a dark shadow crossed his brows by my soul he muttered how this thought of death haunts me like the unburied corpse of a slain foe i would there were no such thing as death tis a cruel and wanton sport of the gods to give us life at all if life must end so utterly and so soon he sighed deeply theos echoed the sigh but answered nothing at that moment the restless Isis gave another appalling roar and pounced swiftly toward the eastern side of the pavilion where a large painted panel could be dimly discerned the subject of the painting being a hideous idol whose long half-shut inscrutable eyes leered through the surrounding foliage with an expression of hateful cunning and malevolence in front of this panel the tigress lay down licking the pavement thirstily from time to time and giving vent to short purring sounds of impatience then all suddenly she rose with ears pricked in an attitude of attention the panel slowly moved it glided back and the great brute leaped forward flinging her two soft paws on the shoulders of the figure that appeared the figure of a woman who clad in glistening gold from head to foot shone in the dark aperture like a gilded image in a shrine of ebony theos beheld the brilliant apparition in some doubt and wonder was this he could not see her face as she wore a thick white veil through which only the faintest sparkle of dark eyes glimmered like flickering sunbeams nor was he able to discern the actual outline of her form as it was completely enveloped and lost in the wide shapeless folds of her stiff golden gown yet every nerve in his body thrilled at her presence every drop of blood seemed to rush from his heart to his brain in a swift scorching torrent that for a second blinded his eyes with a red glare and made him faint and giddy woman and tigress they looked strangely alike he thought as they stood mutually caressing each other under the great drooping masses of fantastic leaves yet where was the resemblance what possible similarity could there be between a tawny treacherous brute of the forests full of sly malice and voracious cruelty, and that dazzling gold garmented creature whose small white hand, flashing with jewels, now tenderly smoothed the black silken stripes on the sleek coat of her savage favourite. Down, sweet Izeef, down she said in a grave, dulcet voice as softly languorous as the last note of a love song. Down, my gentle one, thou art too fond down so this as the tigress instantly removed its embracing paws from her neck and trembling in every limb crouched on the ground in abjectly submissive obedience another moment and she advanced leisurely into the pavilion hyzif slinking stealthily along beside her and seeming to imitate her graceful gliding movements till she stood within a few paces of theos and just near the spot where the lotus flowers swayed over the grass-green stagnant pool there she paused and apparently scrutinized her visitors intently through the folds of her snowy veil saluma bent his head before her in a half-haughty half-humble salutation the tardy saluma she said with an undercurrent of laughter in her musical tones the poet who loves the flattery of a foolish king and the applause of a still more foolish court and so cos rule disturb the flood of thine inspiration to-night good minstrel nay for that he should die if for no other crime and this here she turned her veiled features toward theos whose heart beat furiously as he caught a luminous flash from those half-hidden brilliant eyes this is the unwitting stranger who honoured me by so daring a scrutiny this morning verily thou hast a singularly venturesome spirit of thine own fair sir still we must honour courage even though it border on rashness and i rejoice to see that the wrathful mob of alciris hath yet left thee man enough to deserve my welcome nevertheless thou wert guilty of most heinous presumption here she extended her jewelled hand art thou repentant and wilt thou sue for pardon scarcely conscious of what he did Theos approached her and kneeling on one knee took that fair soft hand in his own and kissed it with passionate fervour criminal as i am he murmured tremulously i glory in my crime nor will i seek forgiveness nay rather will i plead with thee that i may sin so sweet a sin again and blind myself with beauty unreproved slowly she withdrew her fingers from his clasp thou art bold she said with a touch of indolent amusement in her accents but in thy boldness there is something of the hero knowest thou not that i lycia high priestess of Nagaya, could have thee straightway slain for that unwise speech of thine unwise because over hasty and somewhat over familiar yes i could have thee slain and she laughed a rippling little laugh like that of a pleased child howbeit thou shalt not die this time for thy foolhardiness thy looks are too much in thy favour thou art like saluma in his noblest moods when tired of verse stringing and sonnet chanting he condescends to remember that he is not quite divine see how he chafes at that and plucking a lotus bud she threw it playfully at the laureate whose handsome face flushed vexedly at her words and thou art prudent surthios do i not pronounce thy name aptly thou wilt be less petulant than he and less absorbed in self-adoration for here men even poets are deemed no more than men and their constant querulous claim to be considered as demigods meets with no acceptance wilt blind thyself with beauty as thou sayest well then lose thine eyes but guard thy heart and with a careless movement she loosened her veil it fell from her like a soft cloud and theo springing to his feet gazed upon her with a sense of enraptured bewilderment and passionate pain it was as though he saw the wraith of some fair dead woman he had loved of old risen anew to redemand from him his former allegiance oh unfamiliar yet well-known face oh slumberous starry eyes that seemed to hold the memory of a thousand love thoughts oh sweet curved lips whereon a delicious smile rested as softly as sunlight on young rose petals where where in god's name had he seen all this marvelous witching maddening loveliness before his heart beat with heavy laboring thuds his brain reeled a dim golden suffused radiance seemed to hover like an aureole above that dazzling white brow adorned with a clustering wealth of raven-black tresses whose massive coils were crowned with the strangest sort of diadem a wreath of small serpents heads cunningly fashioned in rubies and rose brilliance and set in such a manner that they appeared to lift themselves erect from out the dusky hair as though in darting readiness to sting full of a vague wild longing he instinctively stretched out his arms then on a sudden impulse turned swiftly away in a dizzy effort to escape from the basilisk fire gleam of those sombre haunting eyes that plunged into his inmost soul and there aroused such dark desire such retrospective evil such wild weakness as shamed the betterness of his nature saluma's clear mocking laugh just then rang sharply through the perfumed stillness thou mad theos whither art thou bound cried the laureate mirthfully wilt leave our noble hostess ere the entertainment has begun ungallant barbarian what frenzy possesses thee these words recalled him to himself he came back slowly step by step and with bowed head to where lycia stood lycia whose penetrating gaze still rested upon him with strangely fixed intensity forgive me he said in a low unsteady voice that to his own ears sounded full of suppressed yet passionate appeal forgive me lady that for one moment i have seemed discourteous i am not so in very truth sad fancies fret my brain at times and and there is that within thine unveiled beauty which sword-like wounds my soul i am not joyous nature unlike Saluma, chosen favorite of fortune i have lost all all that made my life once seem fair i am dead to those that love me forgotten by those that honoured me a wanderer in strange lands a solitary wayfarer perplexed with many griefs to which i cannot give a name nevertheless and he drew a quick hard breath if i may serve thee fairest lycia as saluma serves thee subject to thy sovereign favour thou shalt not find me lacking in obedience command me as thou wilt let me efface myself to worship thee let me if it be possible drown thought slay memory murder conscience so that i may once more as in the old time be glad with the gladness that only love can give and only death can take away as he finished this unpremeditated uncontrollable outburst his eyes wistfully sought hers she met his look with a languid indifference and a half disdainful smile enough restrain thine ardour she said coldly her dark dilating orbs shining like steel beneath the velvet softness of her long lashes thou dost speak ignorantly unknowing what thy words involve words to which i well might bind thee were i less forbearing to thine inconsiderate rashness how like all men thou art how keen to plunge into unfathomed deeps merely to snatch the pearl of present pleasure how martyr seeming in thy fancied sufferings as though thy little wave of personal sorrow swamped the world o wondrous human egotism that sees but one great absolute i scrawled on the face of nature i am afflicted let none dare to rejoice i would be glad let none presume to grieve she laughed a little low laugh of icy satire and then resumed i thank thee for thy proffered service sir stranger albeit i need it not nor do i care to claim it at thy hands thou art my guest no more whether thou wilt hereafter deserve to be enrolled my bondsman depends upon thy prowess and my humour her beautiful eyes flashed scornfully and there was something cruel in her glance theos felt it sting him like a sharp blow his nerves quivered his spirit rose in arms against the cynical hauteur of this woman whom he loved yes loved with a curious sense of revived passion passion that seemed to have slept in a tomb for ages and that now suddenly sprang into life and being like a fire kindled anew on dead ashes acting on a sudden proud impulse he raised his head and looked at her with a bold steadfastness a critical scrutiny a calmly discriminating valuation of her physical charms that for the moment certainly appeared to startle her self-possession for a deep flush coloured the fairness of her face and then faded leaving her pale as marble her emotion whatever it was lasted but a second yet in that second he had measured his mental strength against hers and had become aware of his own supremacy this consciousness filled him with peculiar satisfaction he drew a long breath like one narrowly escaped from close peril he had now no fear of her only a great all-absorbing all evil love and to that he was recklessly content to yield her eyes dwelt glitteringly first upon him and then on saluma as the eyes of a falcon dwell on its prey and her smile was touched with a little malice as she said addressing them both come fair sirs we will not linger in this wilderness of wild flowers a feast awaits us yonder a feast prepared for those who like yourselves obey the creed of sweet self-indulgence the world-wide creed wherein men find no fault no shadow of inconsistency the truest wisdom is to enjoy the only philosophy that which teaches us how best to gratify our own desires, delight cannot satiate the soul, nor mirth engender weariness. Follow me, and with a live movement, she swept toward the door. her pet tigress creeping closely after her, then suddenly looking back, she darted a lustously caressing glance over her shoulder at Saluma and stretched out her hand. He at once caught it in his own and kissed it with an almost brusque eagerness i thought you had forgotten me he murmured in a vexed half-reproachful tone forgotten you forgotten saluma impossible and her silvery laughter shook the air into little throbs of music when the greatest poet of the age is forgotten then fall Alcyrus, for there shall be no more need of kingdoms laughing still and allowing her hand to remain in his she passed out of the pavilion and theos followed them both as a man might follow the beckoning sylphs in a fairy dream a mellow luminous witch-like radiance seemed to surround them as they went two dazzling figures gliding on before him with the slow light grace of moonbeams flitting over a smooth ocean they seemed made for each other he could not separate them in his thoughts but the strangest part of the matter was the feeling he had that he himself somehow belonged to them and they to him his ideas on the subject however were very indefinite he was in a condition of more or less absolute passiveness save when strong shudders of grief memory remorse or roused passion shook him with sudden force like a storm-blast shaking some melancholy cypress whose roots are in the grave he mused on lycia's scornful words with a perplexed pain was he then so selfish the one great absolute i scrawled on the face of nature could that apply to him surely not since in his present state of mind he could hardly lay claim to any distinct personality seeing that that personality was forever merging itself and getting lost in the more clearly perfect identity of saluma whom he regarded with a species of profound hero-worship such as one man seldom feels for another to call himself a poet now seemed the acme of absurdity how should such an one as he attempt to conquer fame with a rival like saluma already in the field and already supremely victorious full of these fancies he scarcely heeded the wonders through which he passed as he followed his two radiant guides along his eyes were tired and rested almost indifferently on the magnificence that everywhere surrounded him though here and there certain objects attracted his attention as being curiously familiar these lofty corridors gorgeously frescoed these splendid groups of statuary these palm-shaded nooks of verdure where imprisoned nightingales warbled plaintive songs that were all the sweeter for their sadness these spacious marble logias cooled by the rising and falling spray of myriad fountains did he not dimly recognize all these things he thought so yet was not sure for he had arrived at a pass when he could neither rely on his reason nor his memory naught of deeper humiliation could he have than this to feel within himself that he was still an intellectual thinking sentient human being and that yet at the same time his intelligence could do nothing to extricate him from the terrific mystery which had engulfed him like a huge flood and wherein he was now tossed to and fro as helplessly as a floating straw on still on he went treading closely in saluma's footsteps and wistfully noting how often the myrtle garlanded head of his friend drooped caressingly toward lycia's dusky perfumed locks whence those jeweled serpent's fangs darted flashingly upward like light from darkness on still on till at last he found himself in a grand vestibule built entirely of sparkling red granite here were ten sphinxes so huge in form that a dozen men might have lounged at ease on each one of their enormous paws they were ranged in rows of five on each side and their coldly meditative eyes appeared to dwell steadfastly on the polished face of a large black disc placed conspicuously on a pedestal in the exact centre of the pavement strange letters shone from time to time on this ebony tablet letters that seemed to be written in quicksilver they glittered for a second then ran off like phosphorescent drops of water and again reappeared but the same signs were never repeated twice over all were different all were rapid in their coming and going as flashes of lightning lycia approaching the disc turned it slightly at her touch it revolved like a flying wheel and for a brief space was literally covered with mysterious characters which the beautiful priestess perused with an apparent air of satisfaction all at once the fiery writing vanished the disc was left black and bare and then a silver ball fell suddenly upon it with a clang from some unseen height and rolling off again instantly disappeared at the same moment a harsh voice rising as it were from the deepest underground chanted the following words in a monotonous recitative fall o thou lost hour into the dreadful past sink o thou pearl of time into the dark and fathomless abyss not all the glory of kings or the wealth of empires can purchase thee back again not all the strength of warriors or the wisdom of sages can draw thee forth from the abode of silence whither thou art fled farewell lost hour and may the gods defend us from thy reproach at the day of doom in the name of the sun and the Gaia, peace the voice died away in a muffled echo and the slow solemn boom of a brazen-tongued bell struck midnight then theos raising his eyes saw that all further progress was impeded by a great wall of solid rock that glistened at every point with flashes of pale and dark violet light a wall composed entirely of adamantine spar crusted thick with the rough growth of oriental amethyst it rose sheer up from the ground to an altitude of about a hundred feet and apparently closed in and completed the vestibule surely there was no passing through such a barrier as this he thought wonderingly nevertheless lycia and saluma still went on and he as perforce he was compelled still followed arrived at the foot of the huge erection that towered above him like a steep cliff of molten gems he fancied he heard a faint sound behind it as of clinking-glasses and boisterous laughter but before he had time to consider what this might mean lycia laid her hand lightly on a small protruding knob of crystal pressed it and lo the whole massive structure yawned open suddenly without any noise suspending itself as it were in sparkling festoons of purple stalactites over the voluptuously magnificent scene disclosed at first it was difficult to discern more than a gorgeous maze of swaying light and colour as though a great field of tulips in full bloom should be seen waving to and fro in the breath of a soft wind but gradually this bewildering dazzle of gold and green violet and crimson resolved itself into a definite form and substance and theo standing beside his two companions on the elevated threshold of the partition through which they had entered was able to look down and survey with tolerable composure the wondrous details of the glittering picture a picture that looked like a fairy fantasy poised in a haze of jewel-like radiance as of vaporized sapphire he saw beneath him a vast circular hall or amphitheatre roofed in by a lofty dome of richest malachite from the centre of which was suspended a huge globe of fire that revolved with incredible swiftness clinging vivid blood-red rays on the amber-coloured silken carpets and embroideries that strewed the floor below the dome was supported by rows upon rows of tall tapering crystal columns clear as translucent water and green as the grass in spring and between and beyond these columns on the left-hand side there were large oval-shaped casements set wide open to the night through which the gleam of a broad lake laden with water-lilies could be seen shimmering in the yellow moon the middle of the hall was occupied by a round table covered with draperies of gold white and green and heaped with all the costly accessories of a sumptuous banquet such as might have been spread before the gods of olympus in the full height of their legendary prime here were the lovely hues of heaped-up fruit the tender bloom of scattered flowers the glisten of jewelled flagons and goblets the flash of massive golden dishes carried aloft by black slaves attired in white and crimson the red glow of poured-out wine and here in the drowsy warmth lounging on divans of velvet and embroidered satin eating drinking idly gossiping loudly laughing and occasionally bursting into wild snatches of song were a company of brilliant-looking personages all men all young all handsome all richly clad and all evidently bent on enjoying the pleasures offered by the immediate hour suddenly however their noisy voices ceased with one accord as though drawn by some magnetic spell they all turned their heads toward the platform where lycia had just silently made her appearance and springing from their seats they broke into a boisterous shout of acclamation and welcome one young man whose flushed face had all the joyous wanton effeminate beauty of a pictured dionysus reeled forward goblet in hand and tossing the wine in air so that it splashed down again at his feet staining his white garments as it fell with a stain as of blood he cried tipsily all hail lycia where hast thou wandered so long thou goddess of morn we have been lost in the blackness of night sunk in the depths of a hell-like gloom but lo now the clouds have broken in the east and our hearts rejoice at the birth of day vanish dull moon and be ashamed for a fairer planet rules the sky hence ye stars puny glow-worms lazily crawling in the fields of ether lycia invests the heaven and earth and in a smile we live ha art thou there Saluma? come praise me for my improvised love lines they are as good as thine i warrant thee canst compose when thou art drunk my dainty laureate drain a cup then and string me a stanza where is thy fool zabastes i would fain tickle his long ears with ribald rhyme and hearken to the barbarous braying forth of his asinine reflections lycia what lycia dost thou frown at me frown not sweet queen but rather laugh thy laughter kills tis true but thy frown doth torture spirits after death unbend thy brows night looms between them like a chaos we will have no more night i say but only noon a long languorous lovely noon flower girdled and sunbeam clad with roses 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 crown my head for my days are few and remember sweet when i am dead that my heart was true singing unsteadily with the empty goblet upside down in his hand he looked up laughing his bright eyes flashing with a wild feverish fire his fair hair tossed back from his brows and entangled in a half-crushed wreath of vine-leaves his rich garments disordered his whole demeanour that of one possessed by a semi-delirium of sensuous pleasure When all at once meeting lycia's keen glance he started as though he had been suddenly stabbed the goblet fell from his clasp a visible shudder ran through his strong supple frame the low cold merciless laughter of the beautiful priestess cut through the air hissingly like the sweep of a scimitar thou art wondrous merry nur jealous she said in languid lazily enunciated accents knowest thou not that too much mirth engenders weeping and that excessive rejoicing hath its fitting end in grievous lamentation nay even now already thou lookest more sadly what sombre cloud has crossed thy wine-hued heaven be happy while thou mayest good fool i blame thee not sooner or later all things must end in the meantime make thou the most of life while life remains tis at its best an uncertain heritage that once rashly squandered can never be restored either here or hereafter the words were gently almost tenderly spoken but ner-jealous hearing them grew white as death his smile faded leaving his lips set and stern as the lips of a marble mask stooping he raised his fallen goblet and held it out almost mechanically to a passing slave who refilled it with wine which he drank off thirstily at a draught though the generous liquid brought no colour back to his drawn and ashy features lycia paid no further heed to his evident discomfiture bidding saluma and theo's follow her she descended the few steps that led from the raised platform into the body of the brilliant hall the rocky screen of amethyst closed behind her as noiselessly as it had opened and in another moment she stood among her assembled guests who had once surrounded her with eager salutations and gracefully worded flatteries smiling on them all with that strange smile of hers that was more scornful than sweet and yet so infinitely bewitching she said little in answer to their greetings she moved as a queen moves through a crowd of courtiers the varied light of crimson and green playing about her like so many sparkles of living flame her dark head wreathed with those jewelled serpents lifting itself proudly erect from her muffling golden mantle and her eyes shining with that frosty gleam of mockery which made them look so lustrous yet so cold and now theos perceived that at one end of the splendid banquet table a dais was erected draped richly in carnation-coloured silk and that on this dais a throne was placed a throne composed entirely of black crystals whose needle-like points sparkled with a dark flash as of bayonets seen through the smoke of battle it was cushioned in black velvet and above it was a bent arch of ivory on which glittered a twisted snake of clustered emeralds with that slow superb ease that distinguished all her actions i see attended closely by her tigress mounted the dais and as she did so a loud clash of brazen bells rang out from some invisible turret beyond the summit of the great dome at the sound of the jangling chime four negresses appeared goblin creatures that looked as though they had suddenly sprung from some sooty subterranean region of gnomes and humbly prostrating themselves before lycia kissed the ground at her feet this done they rose and began to undo the fastenings of her golden domino like garment but either they were slow or the fair priestess was impatient for she suddenly shook herself free of their hands and loosening the gorgeous mantle herself from its jewel clasps it fell slowly from her symmetrical form on the perfumed floor with a rustle as of falling leaves a sigh quivered audibly through the room whether of grief joy hope relief or despair it was difficult to tell the pride and peril of a matchless loveliness was revealed in all its fatal seductiveness and invincible strength the irresistible perfection of woman's beauty was openly displayed to bewilder the sight and rouse the reckless passions of man who could look on such delicate dangerous witching charms unmoved who could gaze on the exquisite outlines of a form fairer than that of any sculptured venus and refused to acknowledge its powerfully sweet attraction the virgin priestess of the sun had stepped out of her shrine no longer a creature removed impersonal and sacred she had become most absolutely human moreover she might now have been taken for a bacchante the dancer or any other unsexed example of womanhood inasmuch as with her golden mantle she had thrown off all disguise of modesty her beautiful limbs rounded and smooth as pearl could be plainly discerned through the filmy garb of silvery tissue that clung like a pale mist about the voluptuous curves of her figure and floated behind her in shining gossamer folds her dazzling white neck and arms were bare and from slim wrist to snowy shoulder little twining diamond snakes glistened in close coils against the velvety fairness of her flesh a silver servant with a head of sapphires girdled her waist and just above the full wave of her bosom that rose and fell visibly beneath the transparent gathers of her gauzy drapery shone a large fiery jewel fashioned in the semblance of a human eye this singular ornament was so lifelike as to be absolutely repulsive and as it moved to and fro with its wearer's breathing it seemed now to stare aghast anon to flash wickedly as with a thought of evil while more often still is assumed a restlessly watchful expression as though it were the eye of a fiend inquisitor intent on the detection of some secret treachery poised between those fair white breasts it glared forth a glittering menace a warning of unimaginable horror and theos gazing at it fixedly felt a curious thrill run through him as if so to speak a hook of steel had been suddenly thrust into his quivering veins to draw him steadily and securely on towards some pitfall of unknown tortures then he remembered what saloma had said about the all reflecting eye the weird mirror and potent dazzler of human sight and wondered whether its mystical properties were such as to compel men to involuntarily declare their inmost thoughts for it seemed to him that its sinister glow penetrated into the very deepest recesses of his mind and there discovered all the hidden weaknesses follies and passions of the worst side of his nature he trembled and grew faint his dazed eyes wandered over the dainty grace and marvel of lycia's almost unclad loveliness with mingled emotions of allurement and repugnance fascinated yet at the same time repelled his soul yearned toward her as the soul of the night and the Lorelei legend yearned toward the singing rhine siren whose embrace was destruction and then he became filled with a strange sudden fear feared not for himself but for saluma whose ardent glance burned into her dark languid lidded amorous orbs with the lustre of flame meeting flame saluma whose beautiful flushed face was as that of a god inspired or a lover triumphant what could he do to shield and save this so idolized friend of his this dear familiar for whom he had such close and ever-increasing sympathy might he not possibly guard him in some way and ward off impending danger but what danger what spectral shadow of dread hovered above this brilliant scene of high feasting and voluptuous revelry none that he could imagine or define and yet he was conscious of an ominous unuttered premonition of peril in the very air peril for saluma always for saluma never for himself self seemed dead and entombed for ever involuntarily lifting his eyes to the great green dome where the globe of fire twirled rapidly like a rolling star he saw some words written round it in golden letters they were large and distinct and ran thus live in the now but question not the afterwards a wise axiom yet almost a platitude for did not every one occupy themselves exclusively with the now regardless of future consequences of course who but sages or fools would stop to question the afterwards just then lycia ascended her black crystal throne in all her statuesque majesty and sinking indolently amid its sable cushions where she shone in her wonderful whiteness like a glistening pearl set in ebony she signed to her guests to resume their places at table she was instantly obeyed Saluma took what was evidently his accustomed post at her right hand while theos found a vacant corner on her left next to the picturesque lounging figure of the young man nerjaz who looked up at him with a half smile as he seated himself and courteously made more room for him among the tumbled emerald silk diapers of the luxurious divan they now shared together nerjaz was by no means sober but he had recovered a little of his self-possession since lycia's sleepy eyes had darted such cold contempt upon him and he seemed for the present to be on his guard against giving any further possible cause of offence thou art a new-comer a stranger if i mistake not he inquired in a low abrupt yet kindly tone yes replied theos in the same soft sotto voce. i am a mere sojourner in alcyrus for a few days only the guest of the divine Saluma." Nurjaz raised his eyebrows with an expression of amused wonder divine he ejaculated by my faith what neophyte have we here and supporting himself on one elbow he stared at his companion as though he saw in him some singular human phenomenon dost thou really believe he went on jestingly in the divinity of poets dost thou think they write what they mean or practise what they preach then art thou the veriest innocent that ever wore the muscular semblance of man poets my friend are the most absolute impostors they melodize their rhymed music on phases of emotion they have never experienced as for instance our laureate yonder will string a pretty sonnet on the despair of love He, knowing nothing of despair he will write of a broken heart his own being unpricked by so much as a pin's point of trouble and he will speak in his verso of dying of love, when he would not let his little finger ache for the sake of a woman who worshipped him look not so vaguely tis so indeed and as for the divine part of him wait but a little and thou shalt see thy poet-god become a satyr he laughed maliciously and theos felt an angry flush rising to his brows he could not bear to hear saluma thus lightly maligned even by this half-drunken reveller it stung him to the quick as if he personally were included in the implied accusation of unworthiness njalis perceived his annoyance and added good-naturedly tush man vex not thy soul as to thy friend's virtues or vices what are they to thee and if true saluma is no worse than the rest of us all i maintain is that he is certainly no better i have known many poets in my day and they are all more or less alike petulant as babes peevish as women selfish as misers and conceited as peacocks they should be different oh yes they should be the perpetual youth of mankind the faithful singers of love idealized and made perfect but then none of us are what we ought to be besides if we were all virtuous by the gods, the world would become too dull a hole to live in enough will drink with me and beckoning a slave he had his own goblet and that of theo's filled to the brim with wine to our more intimate acquaintance he said smilingly and theo somewhat captivated by the easy courtesy of his manner could do no less than respond cordially to the proffered toast at that moment a triumphant burst of music like the sound of mingled flutes hope boys and harps pushed through the dome like a strong wind sweeping in from the sea and with it the hum and buzz of conversation began in good earnest theos lifting his gaze toward lycia's seat saw that she was now surrounded by the four attendant negresses who standing two on each side of her throne held large fans of peacock plumes which as they were waved slowly to and fro emitted a thousand scintillations of jewel-like splendour a slave attired in scarlet knelt on one knee before her proffering a golden salver loaded with the choicest fruits and wines a lazy smile played on her lips lips that outrivaled the dewy tint of half-opening roses the serpents in her hair and on her rounded arms quivered in the light like living things the great symbolic eye glanced wickedly out from the white beauty of her heaving breast and as he surveyed her thus resplendent in all the startling seductiveness of her dangerous charms her loveliness entranced and intoxicated him like the faint perfume of some rare and powerful exotic his senses seemed to sink drowningly in the whelming influence of her soft and dazzling grace and though he still resented he could not resist her mesmeric power no wonder he thought that saluma's eyes darkened with passions as they dwelt on her and no wonder that he like saluma was content to be gently but surely drawn within the glittering web of her magic spell a spell fatal yet too bewilderingly sweet for human strength to fight against the mysterious sense he had of danger lurking somewhere for Saluma applied so he fancied in no way to himself it did not much matter what happened to him he was a mere nobody he could be of no use anywhere he was as one banished into strange exile his brain that brain he had once deemed so clear so subtle so eminently reasoning and all comprehensive was now nothing but a chaotic confusion of vague suggestions and only served to very slightly guide him in the immediate present giving him no practical clue at all as to the past through which he had lived or the circumstances he most wished to remember he was a fool a dreamer ungifted and unfamous were he to die not a soul would regret his loss his own fate therefore concerned him little he could handle fire recklessly and not feel the flame he could so he believed run any risk and yet escape comparatively free of harm but with saluma it was different saluma must be guarded and cherished his was a valuable life the life of a genius such as the world sees but once in a century and it should not so theos determined be imperilled or wasted no not even for the sake of the sensuous exquisite conquering beauty of this dazzling priestess of the sun the fairest sorceress that ever triumphed over the frail yet immortal spirit of man End of chapter 17